Welcome to the Blackhawks Talk podcast brought to you by Coors Light. I am Pat Boyle with Blackhawks insider Charlie Romeliotis. On this edition, we dive in deep to the NHL trade deadline talk with Elliot Friedman, insider for Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. What is he hearing about the Blackhawks as we are under three weeks away from the deadline? What is the market like for Matthias Janmark, Carl Soderberg, and Kelvin DeHaan? Does he think Stan Bowman is willing to move a player if the Hawks are in the playoff hunt? And we get into the Hart Trophy discussion. Where does he have Patrick Kane in the race with Connor McDavid for league MVP? It's all coming up on the latest installment of the Blackhawks Talk podcast with Elliot Friedman. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Born in the Rockies, Coors Light is lagered cold for a crisp, clean taste, filtered cold to ensure clarity and brightness, and packaged cold for peak refreshment, because those who thirst for more deserve the world's most refreshing beer. All right, Elliot, as we, uh, as we tape this, we're 17 days away from the uh, April 12th trade deadline. Uh, Canadian quarantine has been trimmed to one week. Do you expect things to start to heat up now? You know, I do. I think that helps the Canadian teams a bit. Um, you know, in particular, uh, Winnipeg was a team that they already went through a quarantine once, 14 days with Pierre-Luc Dubois. And unlike us, Pat, he's a physical specimen in peak condition at age 22. And he had trouble with it and got hurt right after. And I know Winnipeg was nervous about that, doing that again. I think it was a cautionary tale for all the Canadian teams. So, you know, I think deals this year are going to be complicated. I don't think it's going to be easy. I think it's going to be a big challenge to pull some of these off financially, but it certainly helps uh, the Canadian clubs in particular, knowing they can get a player back seven fewer days than before. Elliot, it seems like GMs are hanging on to first round and second round picks. They're not dishing those out like we used to see in the past when the Blackhawks were winning Stanley Cups in 2015. They give up a first round pick to acquire Antoine Vermette. And then we fast forward, we rewind last year, and they only get a second round pick for Robin Leonard, who's one mm-hmm. of the best boys in the league. Do you see teams really like, is it more difficult than ever now to, to kind of acquire or those first round picks and second round picks as well? Well, I think, Charlie, what's kind of going on right now is that um, it, a lot of it depends on how you're willing to make deals work. Like there's this year is like people are just saying there's there's even more hoops to go through or hurdles to jump over, hoops to run through, whichever tortured analogy you want to use to making these deals than before. Because, first of all, nobody there's, there's very few teams with cap room. So you look at a guy like Taylor Hall, his season long salary is eight million it's really hard for a lot of teams to fit that in. So it's not only about um, the player, it's about what you're willing to do to make the deal work. And and some teams are saying, look, if you want us to take that money, you're not getting as much of a prize because we know you don't want to pay as much as you can. 
So we're not giving you as much of a prize as we used to. You know, I, I think that the guys who will get first round picks are maybe players with term or players that are so good that multiple people just want to have them. I think a lot of the rentals, um, it's going to be harder for them to get the biggest price. If Taylor Hall suddenly has a situation where three or four teams want him, then I think he's going for a first rounder. But if it's maybe only one team that decides they want him, it's going to be harder. I think the other thing, Charlie, that's a problem this year is this year's draft. The teams tried to move it. They tried to move it back because a lot of these prospects haven't played. And the kids in Ontario, they haven't played any games at all as we speak today. So um, I think some teams have said, if we're getting picks, we'd rather have picks from next year as opposed to this year, which has made it even more tricky. It's, it's definitely a confusing, uh, convoluted situation this year. So, so in a way, Elliot, draft picks in 2021 are not worth what they were, say, last year or going forward because of the uncertainty of the evaluation process and the lack of, of games being played by those prospects. That is true on a lot of levels. Um, the other thing, too, is this draft isn't seen as strong as some of the other ones. There's some, there's some good players at the top, but it's not, there's no you know, defining Connor McDavid kind of player. So I think between those two situations, yes, these aren't valued as much. So as one guy was kind of laughing to me, as you can imagine, if you're a team that's trading away the picks, you're happy to make, you're happier to make those offers. If you're a team that's receiving the picks, you're not as happy. Like for one example, I heard specifically was Nashville. Like when they were talking about, uh, when teams were talking about Matthias Ekholm for them, I think there were some teams that were saying, hey, we're willing to give you maybe multiple picks this year. And I think the players were like, hey, if you want to give us multiple picks, we kind of prefer them next year as opposed to this year. It's funny how these guys don't really help each other out very much, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Coming from a local standpoint for, with the Blackhawks, I know you wrote last week in 31 Thoughts that the Blackhawks are a team that they have north of $20 million in cap room with all that LTIR relief. Yeah. Can you see them, one, can you see them acquiring a, an expiring contract for sweeteners? And, and two, what's the incentive or actually two, let me, before I get to the incentive part, is yeah. there a potential team or, or a dance partner that you can think of that they're trying to get rid of that salary, but they want to do it in time to also swing a larger deal? Uh, I, I do think that they've been contacted about teams saying, what are you willing to do? I, I think, Charlie, that the biggest question is kind of the one you stepped away from there is, is not, not is their interest, it's what the sweetener is. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of teams calling Stan Bowman and saying, hey, I, I heard you're willing to do this, but Stan Bowman isn't doing that for free. I mean, he's, he's going to ask for something, whether it's a, a, a decent prospect or a good pick. I think one of the things that's kind of happening is that Teams are calling clubs like Chicago and saying, look, if, if, and let's bring back Taylor Hall as the example, a guy who's got an $8 million salary. If we want to acquire Taylor Hall, can we do it through Chicago? And what's that going to cost us? You know, for example, the Robin Leonard deal last year went through Toronto and Toronto got, I think a fifth round pick out of it, a fourth or fifth round pick out of it. Um, so like, it's not a huge price. I'm sure Chicago would like to do better if they can, but I wouldn't be surprised if that particular player was one of the guys that teams have called on. So I'm sure it's not necessarily the Sabres who are calling Chicago, but I bet you Toronto has. Um, I, I bet you it's teams like that who are close to the cap who are saying that, you know, what if we need you to facilitate the move, 
what is it going to cost us? So do you yeah, feel like- I, I hope uh, Stan is remembering the sweeteners he's have had to uh, <laughs> dole out over the last several years, the Bickles and the Hosas and whatnot, uh, the Tabo Teravinans, if you will. Well, as, um, I, as I always say, Pat, when, when you're drowning, these people, they don't throw you life preservers. They throw you anvils. So it's, they don't make it easy. That's for sure. Time now for Cold Brew Check presented by Duncan. So Matthias Janmark is having a, a great year for the Blackhawks, coming off a, a stellar performance in the bubble for Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got 10 goals. His, his stock's probably not going to be worth uh, th- be this high, you know, in, in the future. Uh, what is the market like for a Matthias Janmark? Well, first of all, as you said, I think he's a respected player. He's done that, right? Like people, people know what he can do. So I would think that there would be interest in him for sure. I'm probably thinking like, uh, like again, if, if there's a bunch of teams that decide they want to get Yanmark, then the price goes higher. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like a second round pick and, or a decent prospect or something like that. Like Yanmark's got respect. Um, you know, a lot of it depends on the, like, like, like Edmonton, for example, they, they don't have a second, a third, or a fifth round pick. Like, they're looking to do something for a fourth rounder that the, at best. They don't want to give up their first. So it depends on who you're dealing with. But I could see Yanmark being worth a bit more than that. Like, that's the one thing. Like, he's not making a ton of money, and he's got respect as a player. I think that's the kind of guy that could have some real interest out there. Yes. That was our cold brew check presented by Duncan. This season, be sure to grab a cold brew for game time because where there's hockey – there's Duncan. Two other names that that I'm curious about. One is Carl Soderberg. We there's some hype around Chicago right now that Kirby Doc is going to be returning soon. Yeah. That might make a guy like Carl Soderberg who really struggled at the beginning of the year is starting to turn. And then the other guy is Calvin DeHaan, who the Blackhawks could potentially lose in the expansion draft with Seattle. Do you see any moves being made by Chicago? by this deadline to prepare for that Seattle expansion draft? Or is that something that comes after the season before, you know, that, that draft actually happens? No, Charlie, I, I think every team is weighing moves with the expansion draft in mind because you don't want to trap yourself. Right. Like for example, one thing with Calgary is, you know, Sam Bennett was a player who asked for a trade earlier this year and they knew if they traded him for a week return or a return they didn't like, it could hurt what they had to do in the expansion draft because Bennett was one of the guys they were weighing, leaving unprotected. So I do think that that is a big factor. DeHaan has term left, right? He's got two more years. Like I, that's the tough one. I think I, I, it's very hard to trade guys with term. Like this week I talked about Ryan Ellis in Nashville. Like he has six years left at 6.25. I think he's one of the very, very few players with term that, you know, teams would look at and say, okay, we consider that. So I think that's tough. You know, the thing about Soderbergh is he's a center and I, teams are always looking for centers. So I do believe, and he's only making a million, I hate to say only making a million dollars. People look at this and they go, that's nuts. But that, that's a very affordable deal. Like I think it can work. Now, but the other question, you guys know this better to me than me, what kind of priority does Chicago put on making the playoffs? And that is not insignificant. Like even in a great hockey market like Chicago, when you are coming out of the pandemic, it is going to be easier to sell tickets and get your fans back in the building if you make the playoffs. Any owner in this league will tell you 
the financial difference between making and missing the playoffs is enormous. So, you know, you're talking about Yanmark's good player, Soderberg's a good player. To me, the biggest question is, does Chicago look at this and say, do we, we want to make, we want to keep this run? Because why make yourself thinner? Like, it's, you guys mentioned Doc is coming back because it makes Soderberg expendable. Yes, it does. But this is a year where a lot of guys are getting hurt and the schedule's compressed. If you really want to make the playoffs, you don't want to be thin. You know, Elliot, I, I think you bring up a great point, And I think that's what the Hawks valued the bubble uh, last year. I think it was important for, I think it was really primarily the importance of, for the confidence level of Jeremy Colleton, because, you know, he was able to see that, that his plan, that his system uh, it could be used and on that stage could provide productive results. And I, I think he gained the respect of a lot of, of players on that team. That said, when you look at the setup now in each of these divisions, it, and they're almost a lot of them are, are very similar. You've got like three teams that are kind of entrenched atop the division. And then that four through six spots are, are the teams that are kind of still in the mix. And that's where we sit in the central. I also think Stan looks then like the, we're leaps and, 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 and bounds uh, a gap between the Tampas, the Floridas, and the Carolinas. And if you're looking at this big picture, if I can get a second round pick for Yanmark mm -hmm. and I could actually re-sign Yanmark in the offseason if I really, really wanted to and saw him a part of the process, mm -hmm. um, that second round pick could ultimately be a, a big part of my plan to get back into that upper tier of a division and compete for a cup. So I think that's some, something that, you know, Stan, it, it'll come down to what, what he can get back in return. If he can get that second or third round pick, I think he, he'd be willing to, to pull the trigger. I think it's that fourth, fifth, sixth yes. questionable prospect that he's, he'll say, you know what, I'd rather just keep Soderberg or keep Yanmark or what have you. Yeah, and you know what, I, I think that makes a lot of sense to me, Pat, and it usually is the way it comes down to it. Like, I like – when it comes to Yanmark, the team, and I should have mentioned it earlier, I think the team that makes a lot of sense to me is Colorado. And, and the reason is I think Colorado is looking for a forward or two. And I think they're also looking for a forward or two. That's got a bit of edge to them. Um, they, you know, th that's what they're looking. And also don't forget, they would have seen him up close in a seven game series uh, last year against the Dallas stars. So like, to me, that's a, that's a kind of fit that, that makes some sense. Um, I think you're totally right. I think that's what it's about. You know, the only other thing I would just add to that is that, um, again, like you can't fool your players, right? Um, players know who deserves to play. And like, I know the Kings right now, they're sitting here and they're saying, we've got guys in meaningful games, like who are young players who are going to be our, our core of our team for a long time. And they think it's really meaningful. They, they think it's, it's really – and you talked about the experience last year of the bubble, especially if Doc is coming back. I mean, you guys are going to play meaningful games. You're in a playoff race. You're battling with Columbus. You're battling – Nashville's on the outside there. You're going to play – and certainly no one's going to pick you in a four-game series against Tampa. That's 100% true. But that doesn't mean you don't get guys in big games. And I know there's a lot of people who believe that's important. And I, I am – I, as I've gotten older and learned more, I'm one of those guys too. Elliot, I wanted to ask you about the, the Hart Trophy race. And yeah. uh, I think this is a unique year where 
we have all the Canadian teams in one division and I'm sure it's, it's difficult to kind of focus outside of what's happening in your bubble. Like we're so focused on the central division and, and whatnot. Where do you see Patrick Kane right now when you're, when we're talking heart trophy discussion? Well, I think he's very much in the race. Like, unfortunately, Austin Matthews, the injury has slowed him down. You know, the tough thing, like, I, I know, like people think I'm biased towards Canada and that's fine. Like I got no problem with that. If Connor McDavid's on a hundred point pace, like it's it's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. And um, you know, I I, I don't want to hear this stupid Canada doesn't play any defense argument. You put Connor McDavid in any division, he's going to be close to a hundred points. And I just think it's going to be really tough to beat that. But you know, I think you know, look, like you always know because you guys have been around long enough to know that when a team comes out of with like. Everybody thought Chicago was going to be dead in the water this year. Nobody thought they were going to be anywhere near this. And any time that you have a team that makes the playoffs or contends for the playoffs, you always – those guys always get more credit. Um, like, you look at them and you say, okay, who plays well for that team? So, like, I think guys like Mark Stone is in this race. I think Alexander Barkov is in this race, particularly now that Florida's struggling with, with them out of the lineup. But, you know, I, I really do think that, that Kane is in the race. And he's – like, if you guys – like, the problem is if you don't make the playoffs, Hart Trophy winners don't come from non-playoff teams. Like, that's just the history. But if you get in the playoffs, like, right now as we're voting today, Kane's number two on my ballot behind McDavid. I just think if the guy gets 100 points in 56 games – how are you not going to vote for him? I just, yeah, I, I just don't know. It's hard to argue with that. I, I, I uh, you know, as we tape this, there's a 14 point gap between Patrick and Connor. So I, I, I'm with you. If, if, and, and absolutely, you have to be a playoff team to even be in this discussion. Let's say the gap is eight points. Yes. Okay. Now, I had your colleague on David Amber on the radio a couple of weeks ago. That must have been a terrible segment. It was just he. I don't know how he got on without you. <laughs> <laughs> he he I, he brought up, and I I tend to agree with him about s- supporting cast. Yeah. And his vote was for Kane because Connor has a much better supporting cast on his line on the power play unit. You look at, you know, he Patrick's playing with Pew Suter, David Camp. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you. I mean, Alex DeBrinket is having a fantastic year. Mm-hmm. But uh, where do you value the the supporting cast in the discussion of the Hart Trophy? Well, I think it, I think it's big. Like you know, a lot of like I, I hope David hears this. A lot of his arguments are stupid, but that's not a stupid one. Uh, it's a good argument. Um, but like honestly, I think that's why Keane's going to be very high on a lot of the ballots. Like I, I, I mean, I understand that. I, I just look at McDavid. I think Edmonton's a team. It's got a lot of holes on. Yes, they have Dreisaitl, who was last year's MVP, but the Oilers still have a lot of holes. Don't don't kid yourself. And he elevates them, and um, he he drives that engine. Like I get the argument, but I don't think it's a disqualifying from winning the Hart Trophy argument. Last one for for me, Elliot. I want to talk about Central Division, uh, big picture, and, and we mentioned Nashville a couple times. Obviously, that was the the main story in your recent column. Uh, with Ellison at home, they somehow after last night's victory, they're somehow knocking on the door of the number yeah. four. Uh, and I, we kind of had them in the rear view mirror. 
could they potentially, this is a big weekend series, obviously coming up with Chicago and Nashville. Can they potentially, can they reconsider like being sellers? Or do you feel like it's a lock that one of those two guys are, are going to be out the door? I think, I think they could always reconsider it, particularly Charlie, if the offers aren't, aren't good enough. Like one of the teams that I, I think is all of a sudden, we're all wondering what they're going to do is Philadelphia. And, you know, I, I think Philadelphia came into this season looking at a year where they were, this was a go for it year. And now, you know, looking at the way they're playing, it's, it's not. And I think if they do anything, it's for term. So suddenly one of your potentially biggest buyers is, is not there. Now, I still think there's interest in that home, and I think everybody's playing poker. Nashville's asking for a ton. There was a story out of Boston yesterday that the price is too high. I mean, you know what that is. Now we're, now we're negotiating publicly. So, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I, I think that, you know, the value of making the playoffs is, is very good financially, but I still do think that Nashville, you know, four years ago, they were in the Stanley Cup final. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's time for this group. I, I think they look at them and say, you know, we're going to have to make some changes. We're going to do some different things. So I still do think that Nashville is going to look at making some change, adding some youth into their organization, uh, trying some new things. Um, although, you know, you know, it's, it's always a tough one for me now because in the past, I think a lot of teams were like, if we can't win it, let's eventually make the change. But I do think this year, the boost from making the playoffs to your finances, it maybe it plays a bigger role than ever. I still think Nashville looks to make a big deal to jumpstart its future, but I do concede that if they come out of it this weekend with four points and they're looking at it and saying, maybe it's better locally if we stay in, that could change. I still think they're going to do something though. So Brent Seabrook a couple of weeks ago said just he, he can't, can't yeah. continue this comeback. Um, but he's got three more years on his contract uh, after this season, a cap hit of almost $6.9 million. They LTIR him this year. Okay, we get that. Uh, do the Hawks have to consider moving that contract, or do you see them going the LTIR route the remainder of the, th- the three years left? Well, I think that depends, Pat, on, you know, A, what they need roster-wise. Do they need the LTIR space? Um, you know, that could be something that, you know, we see. Uh, I'm sure they will try to move it uh, if there's any way they can. You know, don't forget, like, I don't know if Seabrook's contract is insured or not. Like, that's another factor, too. Um, you know, if it's insured, that means I think 80% of it gets picked up. And that always makes it easier. If it's not an insured deal, and I don't know the answer to this question for any reason. Uh, I believe it is insured. If it's, if it's insured, then it's easier for you to do it. If it's not insured, then it's not going anywhere. Um, you know, for example, there was a big trade a couple of years ago, Clarkson and Horton between the Leafs and the Columbus Blue Jackets because the, Le- uh, the Horton deal was not insured and Toronto needed LTI sp- our, our space and they took that deal to do it. So, but only because Toronto could afford it. Like other than that, no one else, especially now, no one else is taking that deal if it's not insured. It probably comes down to, does somebody need LTIR space? And Toronto needed it uh, for a few years. It might also depend, you know, what's, you know, and I, I really hope we see him back whenever he's ready, Jonathan Taves. You know, what's, the, what's that situation going to be? It was great to see him on the video board for Patrick Keane's night. Um, and, you know, that could also affect what Chicago has to do roster flexibility-wise uh, for the next few years. 
Uh, I want to just touch on Tate since you brought it up. Um, look, part of your job is being an insider and talking to GMs and, and, and agents and players and, and finding out information and then deciding what you're going to take uh, to the airwaves. I'm sure you've been inundated with different rumors and calls about this and sightings and whatnot. Uh, we have two. Uh, my stance has been I'm not going to be in the, in the first game. I, res I, I respect Jonathan and his wishes on this matter to share it when he feels that is appropriate. Uh, mm -hmm. This isn't going to be a race to tell you uh, that I'm going to break this story or not. But, you know, we've gotten to this point now. He's such a popular player in the league. He's such a popular figure here in Chicago. Um, inquiring minds want to know, and almost mm -hmm. the, the silence has um, contributed. Yeah, really has. So, like, how do you wrap your arms around it uh, at, from your vantage point in a journalistic standpoint? Well, I think, Pat, you know, I've heard probably the same rumors that you guys have. I've heard you know, a couple of uh, prevailing theories about what could be going on. I just look at it this way. Um, it's a, you can't get this wrong. If you, right. you, you can't get this wrong. And until uh, Taves confirms it, and, and I agree with you, it's going to be at his own pace, you know, you're risking not getting the full story. And, um, you know, I, I like, uh, there's, you know, I don't know if I've ever been ever close to writing anything about it or saying anything about it, but I think there's enough holes in what I believe to be true that you, you can't go to air on a story like this if you've gotten holes. I think the other thing, you know, Charlie, you're, you, you're younger than Pat and I. And, you know, like when I was 25, like I, with a, a single guy at 25, I was like, like go, go through whatever walls you have to go through. And, you know, now that I'm 50 with a family, you kind of realize that there are, you know, maybe I've gotten soft in my old age, but I, I generally do feel like, you know, there are repercussions beyond just Jonathan Taves and, and, you know, if you, if you do this story and I think you, I just think as I've gotten older, um, I have a greater understanding about, you know, what people go through, um, where the limits are sometimes, um, you know, it's not like, you know, this is any, this is a personal thing and you have to respect that. And I think the number one thing is that, you can't get the story wrong. And I think there's enough gaps in, in, in what we know. You respect somebody's privacy until they're, until they're ready to do it. You, you know, you can't risk, you can't risk being inaccurate about it. And you have to respect their right to say, Hey, I'm not ready yet. And I'm not giving you the full story. That's kind of the way I look at it. Well, Charlie's wise beyond his years. He, uh, <laughs> But he's going to listen to the and heed those words because uh, he won't break through that wall. I, I think he's uh, he's he's respects Jonathan too much to. Uh, I think we all do. You yeah, know, we I all think do. we all do. And like yeah. you said, you said it perfectly. Like you can't get this wrong. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Elliot, really quick, I, I want to add, like, just a hypothetical. Like, if this was like Austin Matthews in Toronto, like, how would how would the situation be handled? Like, obviously, Chicago is is a big market in the U.S., but like. What, what, how, how would you, how would this story be handled in Canada? Like the respect pr privacy, but also realizing he's such a big figure for the league. 
Well, I think that we kind of had that this year because, you know, Matthews had COVID, right? And, um, you know, it was a story that a few of us were working on. And it was, it was a tough one because, um, like, just personally, there was a, there was a player who had uh, COVID this year. Um, I wouldn't say we had a big argument, but I knew about it. And he called me and he was like, this is not like a trade. This is none of your business. And we kind of had a, not a battle over it, but a philosophical conversation about it. I, you know, I, I respect the player and I think he respects me. And we, we kind of had like this uh, debate about, you know, and in the end I, I didn't do it. And I know in Matthew's case there, I think there was people who knew about it and it got published and there was this, this very intense debate about whether or not that was acceptable or not. And, um, you know, I, I, I just think that, you know, it, it's like life. Like you put a hundred reporters in a room, Charlie, you're going to get 500 different opinions and some people handle it one way and, and some people handle it another way. Um, I, I don't know that, you know, Chicago is a big market and Jonathan Taves is one of the biggest sports personalities in the history of your city. I think, I think that gives you the answer. I think people have just said, you know, in the absence of a hundred percent facts, we're going to respect his privacy. And, and when he's, you know, when he's ready, we're all going to hear it. Now you're talking about sightings. Like I have had people send me DMS. Like I, I just saw Jonathan Taves here today and I was like, yeah, I appreciate that. But, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to go there. I, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, you know, it, it just shows the interest is there, but you got to respect the guy's wishes. How many phones does Elliot Friedman work during the uh, leading up to the trade deadline? Are you one phone guy or are you a multiple phone guy? No, I'm a one phone guy. I, I read that Adam Schefter uses two. That would make me crazy. Like I always live in fear of sending the wrong person, the wrong message. And I think if I use like, cause I use my phone and I use like the messaging and the, uh, and the WhatsApp and the signal. So, cause certain sources are more comfortable using certain apps. So I use my laptop, I use my phone and I don't want any more than that because Pat and Charlie, I live in fear of sending the wrong message to the wrong person. Like it's just the worst. Okay. So here, here with so many, and you've been doing this like I have for a long time, uh, with, with so many players that you used to cover now having kids in the league, have yeah. you ever made the mistake of contacting Kachuk, but you really, <laughs> you, you got his dad, not, not Matthew? Or? Actually, you know, I'll tell you a really, a really funny story. This happened like last week. It's not a kid. It's actually even funnier than that. So we were doing last uh, Sunday night, uh, we were doing um, uh, Ottawa or maybe it was last Wednesday, whatever it was. I don't even know what day it is anymore. But it was an Ottawa game against Toronto, and all Ottawa's goalies were injured. So I sent a group text. I heard which Ottawa goalies were, were going to be on the ice for practice. So I sent a group text of people I was working with, our two producers, uh, Jeff Merrick, Anthony Stewart, and I thought it was Jennifer Botterill, but it was Jason Botterill. So all of a sudden, we got back this text saying, the Kraken really appreciates this inside information. <laughs> so I was that's like, great. Oh my God. Like, so that's the most, that actually, that's the most recent one I can tell you. 
Well, keep up the great work. I know you'll be busy over the next couple of weeks. We love that we can get to see you on NHL Network on Saturday nights here stateside. My pleasure. My pleasure, guys. Glad to do it. And, Pat, I know that Duncan Keith gave you that shirt for free, just so you know. Okay. He did. The, the, whole, <laughs> the whole two years that he spent there. Now, if you're going to re-record, if you're going to be recording this when you guys are in suits, let me give you this one. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Anytime. Glad to do it. And that's a wrap on this edition of the Blackhawks Talk podcast. Brought to you by Coors Light. Our thanks to Hockey Night in Canada's Elliot Friedman for joining us. Thank you, as always, for listening. Don't forget to rate us, and we'll catch you next time on the Blackhawks Talk Podcast.